0: The study of theology is the study of the word, or the idea, or the concept, or the logic of God himself.
1: It took me four years to read the Bible. I reckon I understand a great deal of it. It wasn't what I expected in some places.
0: So I'm sad that we're not on the same page eschatologically. I wish Sam Storms and I were on the same page.
2: So you believe in
0: these kind of things? Let's just say I want to believe. Well, I know where he was converted. He was converted on the toilet. Right? That, I, I like that one. We're you would.
2: To, You could say he was saying, "I was in the dumps," whatever. Well, which stall walked. was he in? First John, second John, no, 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 third no, wait a minute.
0: Let's let be careful here. He had bowel problems. He struggled with constipation. The argument among certain psychologists: he finally experienced relief, with constipation, and in that moment of relief and deliverance, he suddenly... I wasn't getting that graphic. He suddenly, you know, had this breakthrough discovery.
2: And all of his fetid guilt, he released.
1: All right, welcome back to Theology Unplugged, and we are jumping right into our second session. Do you like me to
2: give it the monster truck com- round No, that's
1: okay. Oh, that's right. You can save it for later. Reformation! <laughs> yeah, no, <that's, laughs> you ask, and then you just went for it. Yeah, uh, I, I took your no as a yes. <laughs> so, John Calvin, and we we have been talking about basically his life and all those things, and, and uh, there is a time in his life in Geneva where uh, uh, Michael Servetus comes to town and many people have written off Calvin as being someone to listen to, uh, based on this uh, this thing that happened in his life, and uh, so we're gonna we're gonna dive right into it. And we the three of us are definitely people who who would say that you need to definitely continue to read the institutes you need to listen to calvin you need to you need to admire calvin as as a, a healthy you need to worship him, but there are people that that it is very appropriate for us to say like these are shoulders that we stand on as we are the people with the baton of making much of jesus in our day or as and, the english
0: would say the baton the battle, the, the battle. So let's, yeah, uh, right, let's dive into
1: Servetus and uh, who, who was this guy? Yeah, who Michael he was.
0: Cervidas. He was Spanish. He was a physician. Miguel Servetus. He was an Aryan, and if people don't know that, I'm not talking about A R Y A N, like in German. White dude? No, not white supremacist. Yeah. A R I A N. He championed the theology of Arius, the fourth, early fourth century heretic, who denied the deity of Christ. Um, and said that Jesus was simply the first of all creatures. Um, Servetus was being, he was a Unitarian, basically in advance of the Unitarian movement. Um, He was being hunted by the Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholics wanted to execute him. They were determined to do it, it's just that the the reformers in Geneva got to him first. But actually Servetus was captured by the Roman Catholic Church and he was incarcerated and he escaped Mm. somehow. Mm. And he fled to Geneva. Now, why in the world he did this, I don't know. But he he went into a church service where Calvin was preaching. And he sat on the back pew, which is uh, why none of you should ever sit on the back pew of your church. You need to move to the front. He sat on the back pew and somebody recognized him and alerted Calvin to the presence of the heretic Servetus in the back of his church. So they immediately arrested him and uh, tried him and concluded that he was a heretic. And again, this is what people need to understand. In this day and age, heresy was a capital offense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, It wasn't a live and let live, oh, let's sit down over coffee and have a nice little theological debate. If you committed what the church regarded as heresy, um, you were subject to execution. The state
2: would put you to death. Oh, yeah.
0: Well, let's remember Zwingli approved and... Uh, the uh, execution of the Anabaptists for nothing more than, well, we say it was nothing more yeah. than their belief in believers' baptism, but actually, you know, he thought they were uh, subversive to the, the the unity of church and state. But um, they decided that Servetus was to be executed.
1: And this was a guy, I mean, Sam mentioned it, but like, Sam, these are this is a guy who is... Probably as, like if you are going to be a heretic on a scale <laughs> of like 1 to 10. He's a heretic on steroids. Is this yeah, a how-to? like he's, I mean, yeah. he, even, he argued that the Council of Nicaea, which the right. church had stood on for 1,200 right. years at this point, that that offended God. Yeah, it wasn't you know, a
2: mistake. Like, he wasn't misunderstood. Yeah, I mean, he, he was, stood on principle here. Yeah, And McNeil says about him, I, I like what he says. He says, as a thinker, Servetus was learned, original, challenging, and resourceful but disorderly and he also points out that a lot of these reformers like Bootser and Aculimpedius and other guys had he knew them they knew Servetus and they had tried hard to persuade him to convince him to tell him you're in the wrong and and you should uh, you should prayerfully read and study in other words he wasn't some stranger they heard of Mm -hmm. like hey I heard about this guy and we should get him uh, it's nothing like that. I mean, yeah. he's yeah. a known commodity. And, 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 and by
0: the way, Butzer and Melanchthon all supported his execution. Mm-hmm. And you think about that. I can understand that Luther might have, but Melanchthon, who is kind of uh, yeah. perceived as the mm-hmm. the meek and Not mild, uh, you know, with a with a wet noodle for a backbone, mm-hmm. uh, as over against Luther, who had a steel rod for a backbone. Melanchthon That's supported his execution. With
1: so and, and calvin took the time he wrote up a list of 38 accusations against him that that was handed to the city government mm-hmm. and uh and if and calvin was not the one that was saying like hey this is what should happen to him he was interacting with <clears throat> the city government but uh calvin did not want him to be burned at the stake though.
0: right he wanted him to be beheaded yeah then he say oh that's horrible well you ask yourself, which would you rather yeah. have as your means of execution—beheading, which is over an instant, or burning at the stake? And in fact, oh, yeah. he was overruled and did not attend the execution. Actually, stayed in his church on his knees praying for the soul of Servetus right. all the way through his execution. Beheading yeah.
2: was uh, was very humane. Well, wealthy families would pay mm-hmm. to make sure. In fact, they'd pay to sharpen up the blade real good so that it would, you know, happen fast. But you know, I, when I first encountered this, and by the way people should know uh, opponents or people who are very anti calvin in whatever way they would be uh... this is top of the list mm-hmm. of accusations to say this guy's no good sort of like if you're if you don't like luther what's the first thing you say anti-semite yeah. yeah if you don't like calvin the first thing you say is servetus servetus Yeah. and 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 it is i mean let's admit it it's hard to understand we said this before yeah. with the anabaptists It's admittedly difficult for yeah. us to grasp how these things would happen? Because um, none of us whether in our church bylaws someone. have burning at the stake or beheading. <laughs> I hope not. Discipline. And let's go on record here. <laughs> <If> <laughs> so you should put it on your website. And make yeah. sure everybody knows. Let's go on record.
0: We believe very clearly <laughs> that that Luther, um, uh, in his latter years, became um, a rather unhinged man of <laughs> mm-hmm. uncontrolled emotions. His anti-Semitic remarks were utterly unjustified. And Mm -hmm. Calvin's complicity in Servetus's execution was wrong. Mm -hmm. Uh, Banish him if you believed he was a threat to the city and the church, but don't kill him. But uh, there's an interesting thing that happened. As the flames were coming up around Servetus, he cried out, have mercy on me, O son of the eternal God. Which is what he denied. (laughs) No, no, listen. He didn't say "Have mercy on me, O eternal Son of God." Mm. And one mm. one commentator mm. put it down. He said the play, the a misplaced adjective can be fatal because <laughs> what <laughs> Cervetus, they put the fire out of him? Yeah, Servetus right. believed that Jesus was the Son of the Eternal God, but Very he was a nice creature. Eternal, yeah. He wasn't the Eternal Son of God who had existed from all eternity in the. In the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. McNeil
2: says he was, or, or at least implies that he was uh, held to what we might call adoptionism, mm-hmm. one of the early heresies. Mm-hmm. He says that he, um, that he regarded uh, the, the, eterni- the, the Trinity as like, um, well, he uses an old Greek, uh, like the three-headed uh, Cerberus. He says, Jesus is not the eternal Son. He was human, and he became divine. Uh, that's that's how he right. summarized here which is adoptionism isn't it mm-hmm. or sort of like he's an extraordinary exceptional servant so that god says you're so great i will actually make you my son mm-hmm. in after some fashion mm-hmm. uh, which of course is i mean you know never been christian doctrine but you're suggesting that had he said that phrase differently what they might have just they might put have the fire they out? might have quenched the flames Who considered knows? it a yeah. recantation
1: do you think i mean i'm i think not trying to be overly a conspiracy theorist here, but do you think that some of this was a setup of Servetus just so clearly going straight to Geneva, going straight to Calvin's church? He wanted church. to be caught. Yeah, like a he had a death a, wish. A death wish, or um, another conspiracy theory, like that potentially it would the the Catholics would release him to well, to go to Geneva because they're going against the. Well, let me throw in another another
0: feature of this. Calvin had actually written in a letter, and it had been communicated to Servetus that if you ever enter the 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 uh, uh, the boundaries of Geneva, I will not allow you to leave alive. Mm-hmm. So he knew going to Geneva, yeah. he was going to be killed. Mm-hmm. He knew it. He had yeah. been warned in advance. Now, whether or not he believed it or it was just an idle threat, who knows? But he had been warned.
1: Yeah. And I think so often people think of like, oh, here was this like really nice misunderstood man who was just passionate about his beliefs and he wasn't doing any harm wasn't causing any harm you know and and i just it just doesn't seem to be a picture of servetus like he is not this like Oh, he's just—he's uh, uh, just ignorant, you know. He just doesn't know that he—that he's wrong, you know. And and here all these bullies are coming up and beating up on him, you know. It's—it really seems to be that he was the bully going into Geneva and well, he knowing was what was going to happen to I mean,
2: him. He wasn't disguised, you said, but according to uh, one writer, he did have a, he was traveling under a different name, mm-hmm. which is what Calvin himself had done when he fled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you know, all this unfortunately could have been avoided. Uh, this whole episode might have been avoided and we wouldn't be talking about it Mm. had he not escaped uh, a jail apparently uh, in Vienna where it says it says here that he um, not Vienna uh, Austria uh, but a different uh, Vienna with an E but he was tried there it says after his identity was established he escaped an inattentive jailer because he knew that his life was in jeopardy he was sentenced in absence to be burned Mm. and was burned in is by Rome right well, by the Roman Catholic effigy. Church. Well, yeah. it just says at Vienne. I'm not sure who's under whose auspices. It depends on who held sway in in that town. But my point is, if only he hadn't escaped, they'd have taken care of him there. We wouldn't have all this to deal with every time we We'd talk be doing about Geneva. another podcast. Yeah. 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 Okay, just um,
0: um, let's kind of return to close the chapter on Servetus. Uh, a very sad one. And, it's, and well, like yeah, you said, Tim, it's a shame. Every one of our theological heroes had flaws, mm. uh, some of them really serious flaws. And we just there's, there's no reason to try to wiggle out of this. Just acknowledge it right. um, and say, you know, they're sinners saved by grace just like the rest of us, and Calvin was no different. Uh, some people may be wondering about his, his personal life. Um, Calvin married a widow. Her name was Idalette de Bure. She was actually the widow of an Anabaptist that Calvin had led to faith, mm. and she brought two children into um, the the home, and they brought incredible heartache and grief to Calvin because they were not um, not Christians. Um, he and Adelaide de Bure had three children of their own, all of whom died in infancy, and we, you know we just we hear about the loss of a child in infancy mm-hmm. now, and it's a rare thing. Mm. Uh, what, John Owen lost 10 children in infancy. Um, Calvin lost all three of his.
1: And that uh, doesn't mean just like in the childbirth, like, I mean, no, this well, means in like the first couple of are, years of right, life. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Disease yeah.
0: was so rampant. Mm. Um, so Calvin, um, again, is carried into the pulpit, preaches his last sermon um on on february 6th of i'm trying to remember what year did he die was it 1555 1556 um, somewhere along in there
1: yeah i can um, get it here right or is that 46 uh, no 64 no, 50, 64, 64 okay. may 27th 64. <laughs> although so he, was, he
2: was announced prematurely like 13 years earlier his hometown did a march i apparently like a parade and sort of like rumors of his death were right we're premature well he was
0: what 55 Mm. years old when he died Luther was in his 50s it's amazing how many great men of God Mm -hmm. have died so young Spurgeon died in his Mm. 50s Edwards was 54 or 55 Mm. and
2: that's if you escaped uh, death by other means yeah and (laughs) yet you think of
0: all that (laughs) all that they accomplished yeah, um, in those years, you know, yeah. Calvin wrote a commentary on every book of the Bible except Revelation. Mm. Um, so let's talk a little bit about his theology. What, what is he known for? Is it justified to think this is what he affirmed? What yeah. are some of the unique mm. things? How, how, was he different from uh, Luther
2: and mm. uh, other of the reformers? Well, mm. for that matter, you're asking a question that every Christian alive today knows this knows the term, Calvinist they've heard the term at least they know of it right so so his name is known i think more as an adjective than a noun Mm. and by the way do
0: you know that many families are reported in geneva to have named their dogs after calvin and it wasn't (laughs) as a as a compliment it was he was considered to be a dog by many of them so Mm. Mm.
1: yeah well and i think if you think of calvinism you're thinking about um the sovereignty of god which i know is a is a big topic but um I think for for the sake of a lot of people don't like this but if for the sake of of clarity the tulip analogy is used for Mm -hmm. for calvinism that um that um and some people are like no and i would say too so we can explain the tulip quickly but I would say, as I read through institutes, Tulip doesn't, like, jump off the page that, like, oh, this is all he's writing about, you know? Like, he's truly writing, like, a very exhaustive theology of this is what Christians believe and this is what we believe as reformers of what the Bible teaches about reality. Do you think Calvin
2: would have had any idea, I'll ask you guys this, do you think he would have had any idea that in future generations to Mm -hmm. come that he would be most known for... Election predestination, I or would he think, have? I don't, I don't think he would have. Think he would have yeah. No,
0: and by the way, just so we make sure we got our historical facts accurately, mm-hmm. Calvin didn't create Tulip, no. Tulip, or the so called five points of Calvinism, came about 75 years after his death dort. at a the Synod of Dort. Dorn. And it was actually the Arminians who articulated about yeah. five points of Arminian theology, and then the um, in what they called the remonstrance. remonstrance. And then the uh, Dutch Reform <laughs> at the Senate of Dort formulated a response out of which eventually uh, came the notion of the five points of Calvinism or tulip. And by the way, there's an ongoing scholarly dispute, and you you can read both sides of the argument about whether or not Calvin believed in the L of tulip, whether he mm-hmm. believed in limited atonement. Mm-hmm. Uh, some Roger Nicole used to argue strongly that he did And then we just have just as many articles written the other position saying that he didn't Mm -hmm. Um, so that was so how did how did calvin differ differ from luther what was what was his view of the lord's supper um because luther had a rather unique view that we've talked about Mm -hmm. before how was calvin's view different
2: yeah because we already did we got to set the stage the continuum we already went through right where you had so here's the catholics on if they're on one end transubstantiation and if way on the other end is i don't know Zwingli. Zwingli Zwingli and the Anabaptists too well but yeah he, the Catholics believe in the real presence and Zwingli believes in the real absence the real absence mm-hmm. memorial it's a mm-hmm. memorial and in the middle are these other guys so uh, would we put Luther furthest furthest toward the Catholic end of the mm-hmm. reformers mm-hmm. probably and then you got your boots are in there so what you're at we're asking is where does Calvin fit now I don't know if there is there a special term for Calvin's view um,
0: some people call it the spiritual presence view mm-hmm. Calvin argued he said, look, he agreed with Luther in principle, is Jesus Christ genuinely really present in the elements of the Lord's table and do we partake of him? Mm. In a, and he said, yes, but not physically.
1: Yeah. He's
0: present spiritually. There is a unique manifestation of the risen Christ, his power, his person in the elements when they are received in faith, but it's not a physical presence. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's a more of a spiritual presence view Uh, So we don't have a word, you know, we have transubstantiation for the Catholics, consubstantiation for the Lutherans, Mm -hmm. but only really the, uh, Calvin did not, did not believe that there was any physical, literal transformation of the elements, the bread and the wine uh, into the body and blood of Christ. But he did believe there was a unique spiritual manifestation of the risen Christ through the Holy Spirit when the faithful partake of the elements.
1: And I think it's good, like, why do we go straight to communion and what what is happening with the elements as we take communion? Are we eating the actual body of Jesus? Is like, and the reason we're talking about it is because that's what the reformers were talking yeah. about when they were trying to figure out, Endlessly. hey, are we all on the same page here? Yeah. Or are we on over, different right? pages? Yeah, and recognizing that. And, and to realize too, these people, grew up come kind of drinking from the same source uh, in a I, not no pun intended yeah. with the elements. The same com- but but they were you know they grew up in roman catholic theology you know and so the kind of the question is how much did they move from that where where luther didn't move from it but calvin definitely moved from what he had been taught as a kid and what he'd been taught growing up of what is in these elements as i'm taking communion
0: another uh element in his theology, is, and this is a good, an ongoing debated question uh, was Calvin as Calvinistic as Luther? Mm. And uh, he, in my opinion, he was not. Mm-hmm. Now, what I mean by that is this if you read the Institutes, certainly uh, there is a strong view of divine predestination, mm-hmm. unconditional election. Mm-hmm. But if you read Luther's Bondage of the Will, mm-hmm. you find a hard determinism and a form of double predestination that Calvin didn't even approach mm-hmm. and approximate. Mm-hmm. And so that, that, that strikes some as odd because contemporary Lutheranism uh, is not at all so-called Calvinistic in its view of God's sovereignty. <clears throat> but Luther himself, in, in as I have read the, the documents, mm-hmm. was far stronger and more assertive about uh, a deterministic view of God's will than even was Calvin.
2: And isn't Calvin, as we said before, unlike Luther, Uh, get more of a nuanced, careful thinker anyway, and I'm almost surprised to hear uh, the way that Calvin will moderate sometimes on this, and so I use McNeil here, which I I almost was surprised the first time I read this. When he's talking about Calvin, you know, writing about these things, Romans 9, so on and so forth, you know, and here's what McNeil says. Calvin knows that he is making statements that do not admit of moral explanation, God rules and overrules all that is, and he is both loving and just in ways that escape our understanding. The very discussion of election, Calvin says, is a perilous ocean, an anxiety about it, a temptation to Satan. It is to be mentioned only in the context of redemption in Christ. And then later he says, double predestination is a doctrine not to be rashly proclaimed. Calvin avoids it in his catechism, which teaches very simply that God is almighty and altogether good. It's almost as if, and and there are other statements you could quote that Mm -hmm. I've read, where Calvin's kind of, it's almost, so I say, did he know he'd be known for this? I I wouldn't think he'd think he'd be known for it. But I do get the sense that he understood that if you really fixate on this part of these these things, Mm -hmm. it could take you down some strange pathways that we've all seen, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's almost like he's in advance prophetically giving you a warning about what we might now call hyper- Calvinism, he certainly wouldn't have called it that. Mm-hmm. But do you think that's what's on his mind? I, that's my sense. You know, he often would appeal to
0: is it Deuteronomy 28, where the secret things belong to God, mm-hmm. and he would warn people about probing into and trying to discern answers to the unanswerable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he was very cautious, and which, which is reflected, for example, in his commentaries. You know, we've been talking about the Institutes. Mm-hmm. If you have a chance to read Calvin's commentaries, they are very insightful. Uh, Luther wrote some excellent commentaries as well, but I have found far more benefit in Calvin's commentaries. Uh, they are remarkable for their um, their exegetical precision, but also their pastoral and devotional tone.
1: What you would get you... Get those th- on the uh, Christian <clears throat> Ethereal Library online, I mean, yeah. all his commentary, just yeah. FYI. Yeah, that's a great... Some <laughs> of the best writing <laughs> on the planet free. is available free <laughs> online. Yeah. Um, what, just as we kind of wrap this up what do you think is the influence of calvin for us today so yes i can read a commentary from calvin like how, how is calvin and his thought like how does that how is that influence you know beyond his 16th century time period but then into our time today
0: yeah i mean obviously we we could trace the influence all the way up through the puritans and the influence of calvin in uh, other countries Um, but I think as I have read him and understood him his primary contribution was his theocentricity, his Mm God-centeredness wasn't even so much God's sovereignty although that's very very much a part of it or God's providence it was that God in his glory is central and supreme in all of life Mm -hmm. and all of life is to reflect Mm -hmm. that. Uh, He was a God-centered, theocentric man to the core both in his Beliefs and in his own personal life.
1: Mm. This uh, this quote I have to read it because it is so crazy. So uh, a polarizing guy, Karl Barth, um, German, um, but was definitely going down the road of theological liberalism and and really points to Calvin as being a, a huge, huge influence in bringing him from uh, theological liberalism, uh, which we interact with a bunch today still. And what Bart said about Calvin is he said, and this is Bart's writing, so uh, you gotta kinda take it for what it is. He says, Calvin is a cataract, a mm-hmm. primeval forest, a demonic power, something directly down from the Himalayas, absolutely Chinese, strange, <laughs> mythological. (laughs) I lack completely the means, the suction cups, even to assimilate this phenomenon, not to speak of presenting it adequately. But then, he says a little bit more clearly for our ears, I could gladly and profitably set myself down and spend all the rest of my life just with Calvin."
2: And (laughs) that,
1: Yikes.
0: Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying Theology Unplugged, let me tell you about some of the other resources we have available. Visit us online at credohouse.org and browse over 2,000 articles on everything from the Crusades to gay marriage. Sign up for email updates and get the latest news, event announcements, and special deals before anyone else. Connect with us on social media. Just search Credo House on Twitter and Facebook. And you can always email us at theologyunplugged at credohouse.org. We want you to be part of the Credo community. Please partner with us in making theology accessible and pushing back the intellectual attack on Christianity. Thank you.